Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Happiness and Humans. My name is Matt Phelan, and I am here with one of our most amazing returning guests, Natasha Wallace. How are you, Natasha? I'm good, thank you. Good. You're back. You're back. What made you want to come back on? Well, I love you. I love you. Uh, You're an inspiration, Matt. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, we've we've known each other for a few years now, haven't we? And yeah. uh, I feel like we sort of operate in the same universe, but in parallel yeah. streams. And so I'm a massive supporter of what you do. Yeah, oh, thanks. I've, I feel like we're kindred spirits, even if we don't get to chat all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Although you have, you, I'm sure you've talked to me off a few cliffs <laughs> over the years. Oh wow, well, Natasha, so so good to be chatting. Um, I'll just bring the audience up to speed. This is um, a, a research interview for our new book, which goes into the data behind the drivers of happiness and engagement. Um, today, we are looking at the happiness section of happiness and engagement. We are looking at, um, from a data perspective, what we call an instinctive data set. And this is our instinctive feeling that we all have to feel safe. That isn't just at work, that's at home, that's in all parts of our life. So safety is one of the top four drivers of happiness. Within safety, we have work environment, trust and balance. Today, we'll be talking about uh, work environment. Um, but I just let's kick off broadly, Natasha, psychological safety. Uh, I'm not really asking from a technical perspective, I'm more asking from a personal perspective. What, what does psychological safety mean to you? Um, I mean, it, it boils down to the trust and safety we have in the relationships that we have, you know, with the people around us. Um, it's a cornerstone, the work that we do in conscious leadership and in helping to create environments where people feel like they can do good work because people can only do good work when they feel safe to do so. And what I mean by that is they can be authentic and they can tell the truth and they can be honest and they can make mistakes sometimes as long as they're willing to learn from them and yeah. they can have good quality relationships with the people around them including their managers yeah and feel as though they can you know behave like the human they are at work within yeah. the guide rails of we all need to respect each other we all need to be constructive we all need to try and maintain a sort of solution focus you know there's yeah. a it's a, a quid pro quo thing you know me as an employee wanting to feel safe at work wanting to be able to speak up and be honest and be my authentic self also needs to recognize the fact that i have a role to play and a responsibility to play in being yeah. my best self at work and so yeah. i need to treat other people with respect i need to try and come up with some of the solutions i need to try and maintain some level of positive positivity so you know there are certain things that just to be in a healthy relationship with somebody else we should bring i mean there's common sense yeah. and they're ever more important at work where you're often in a stressed and pressurized environment where your workloads are high where you're constantly trying to you know balance your priorities um and where you actually depend on relationships we, yeah. we they're crucial to us doing the best yeah. job at work and so you know safety just becomes a, a fundamental aspect of that Natasha, I also realised that's such a comprehensive answer, but I also realised I treated you like Beyonce and we d I didn't even introduce you. I just assumed <laughs> that whole world knows who Natasha is. And so that is a brilliant, and we don't do edits, so we'll just, people, 
I'm now we're now going to get to know who Natasha is. She's not just a random. <laughs> she's someone who has an incredibly um, brilliant career and is working on an amazing new business. So, give us your backstory, Natasha. Where, okay. To, I'd love to know because you because you actually were in HR, weren't you? And mm. I'd love to just. I know we've covered this in another episode before, but please reintroduce yourself to our our, our audience. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, I started in recruitment, which is something I don't oh, often yeah. say, but I think it's quite you know it was. It was something that started to shape my HR career because finding people work and getting them into jobs and matching the right talent to, you know, to the roles in organisations as a consultant was, um, yeah, that's that's where I, I cut my teeth, yeah. um, so to speak. And then I went in-house and did recruitment in-house, recruitment and retention. This was before the recession in 2008 when yeah. you know recruitment was massively in boom at that time and then in 2008 when we went into recession i then became a generalist and you know spent lots of my time doing restructures actually and redeployment and i worked for you know companies like clark shoes and thames water and then i moved into a partnership a consulting firm where i was for 10 years and that's where i was a, an hr director so i looked after the whole people agenda and that's where i started getting particularly interested in culture and what actually leads people to thrive at work what sustains performance um, and the sort of significance of relationships and things like values and how people interact with each other at work to you know how people feel at work and therefore perform so um yeah i've got um an hr background but my passion has always been in creating a great place to work yeah that's amazing and i i do want to come back to you now that we've introduced you i'm such a bad host <laughs> i um, i want to go back to that 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 point that you made around guide was it guide rails you said like for relationships like what can you just expand on that point i think that's yeah really yeah 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 um, if everyone's well, so, just everyone, it has to interact doesn't it with each other and can you just talk us through that yeah everybody has to behave well i mean that that's you know that's everybody has to behave with um thought consideration and ideally compassion in mind so i mean that's definitely something i've learned over the last few years where i've specialized more deeply in conscious leadership that you can be a very conscious leader you can be thoughtful you can be empathetic you can set clear direction you can see and hear the people around you you can create the opportunity for um, you know co-creation and partnership and all the things that we would see as being good quality leadership um, but if the people that you're leading don't turn up in the right way or in the same way that actually that that can create some issues so one example of that would be we now know there's a significant body of evidence to suggest that growth mindset in the workplace leads to better quality results there's also some counter evidence to suggest that it's not the case and i and i i fear that that's because the um academic data isn't good enough but certainly from our experience having a growth mindset in the workplace is incredibly important and what that means is that you are constantly learning that you learn from what goes on around you that you see you know mistakes or mishaps as an opportunity to do things better next time that everybody is on a constant journey of learning and that you know there's no point at which you get 
you, you, you finish, even as a leader, you know, you've just started when you become a leader. So having a learning orientation is incredibly important for the workplace. But if you have a leader that turns up with that learning orientation, but you have a team who don't, then actually yeah. that doesn't lead to the best results. You all need to recognize that you are learning, which means that the insecurities that you see in people need to be dealt with. You know, yeah. there's a you know, lack of confidence, lack of self-esteem in people, um, limiting beliefs that people carry. They need to be aware of those. They need to work on those. They need to build their self-awareness in order to show up in a productive way that will enable the whole team to thrive. So, you know, yes, leaders do have a very, very important role in um, creating a psychologically safe environment, but actually the whole team does. The whole team yeah. contributes to that feeling of safety because you, the team is only as safe as the rest of the team totally. make, them, make them feel. Yeah. So that's a really interesting point then, isn't it? Because it links your point about conscious leadership and learning so if we go back to the point of psychological safety we know it's a top driver of happiness right but not every company understands the importance of psychological safety so if you are in a team and you are listening you're a leader or a manager or whatever like how do you start to make your team and the organization conscious of something like psychological safety because it sounds like something just out of a psychology textbook doesn't it but yeah. it really means something if you when you mm. feel unsafe it's, it's a horrible feeling isn't it mm. um how do we bring it into companies out of the textbooks and into the organizations natasha well i would say it starts with the individual leader um i think that yeah i mean i often think when i'm talking about psychological safety that for the people who haven't already experienced the concept or don't understand it or haven't had some you know experience of talking about it or learning about it they will just think, well, you know, what this is the next most popular term <laughs> that we're using in business today, you know, flash in the pan, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Um, and actually, I think that at a very, very human level, what would it mean? And me as a leader, what I needed to learn in order to understand how to create that safety in my team was to understand what safety looked like for me. So, I mean, I came into this work having had a work experience that didn't make me feel safe. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel included. This wasn't for a very long time. It was for a, a sort of a period of time when I became aware of some dynamics that were in play with, in my workplace. And that lack of safety, and, I, and can I just make it clear that this isn't about bad people doing bad things to other people. Yeah. This is normally about good people <laughs> behaving in a human way that creates an environment where people don't feel safe. Yeah. Um, so I got to the point where I felt as though I couldn't tell the truth. If I did tell the truth or if I did speak up, I was being troublesome. I was being disruptive. It yeah. was it was more annoying than helpful, even though I would have liked to have thought that I was solution focused. Yeah. Um, I felt that the more that I spoke up and told the truth, the more I was sort of pushed out of my group. And yeah. so I lost that sense of belonging that makes you feel like you yeah. fit. And of course, if you don't feel like you fit, well, that makes work impossible. That work makes it so, so hard. So I think the starting position is for leaders to really understand for themselves what safety looks like for them. 
So Not when you. they're able to go to work and tell the truth and speak up and um, challenge the status quo, yeah. um, and bring new ideas and make mistakes and for people to react and respond in a in a positive way i don't you know not in a positive way that might be un unrealistic but in a productive way yeah um then i think you can start to channel that for other people and yeah. of course you know i don't think that this would be you know massively different for most of us if we um have managers and leaders around us who listen to what we say seek our opinion yeah um even body language seem to react relatively well or okay when we say something that might be classed as provocative once again yeah. it needs to be constructive i'm not talking about us going in and being disruptors and hoping that everybody will be able to cope with that yeah. um we feel like we can do more of that we can bring more of our authentic self we can tell the truth more of the time and then that builds trust yeah. so knowing that as a leader means that you can go and do it so go yeah. and do it you know start with doing it before you go in and necessarily say like we need to create a psychologically safe environment let's yeah. run some training on it why don't you go and try it out yeah. and go and see what feeling psychological psychologically safe feels like for you in this environment yeah. or not <laughs> and then have some conversations with your team that you yeah. think might either make them feel safer or talk about it with them so do you feel yeah. safe do you feel safe to tell the truth do you feel safe to speak up what stops you from doing that yeah um have an honest conversation about it yeah and uh, there's some you're so good at, at simplifying it for all of us because there's, there's such a good couple of points in there around honesty and telling the truth and being able to just have those conversations in a safe way and not think, oh, if I say maybe we're letting the team down in this area, that that's going to be seen as a bad thing. Um, and it, it's such a good way of seeing it, isn't it? Like being able to tell the truth. It's such a such a simple concept that we all take for granted, but it's so important in in organisations to make you feel like a human and not and not feel like an outsider. Yeah, absolutely. I'm re I'm listening to a really good audio book at the moment, which I had read before, but it was a great reminder called "The Body Keeps the School." Yeah, that's a great. That oh, is a great. such a good book, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and how and basically the premise of the book is how we carry trauma. You know, yeah. through our lives but one of the things that stood out for me in this book was where the author talked about all we're ever trying to do as people is is we're trying to navigate relationships yeah. to stay in relationship to you know navigate our way through relationships to understand yeah. where we fit in relationships to try and yeah. influence other people to be um in relationship with us in the way that we need them to be like that that's pretty much like that's yeah. that's the game isn't it that's the game of yeah. life we yeah. don't generally operate independently of each other we don't tend to learn independently of each other i.e i learn more about myself through talking to you i tend not mm. to learn a lot about myself simply through sitting here observing what's going on for me on my own yeah. so so relationships just are integral to the way that we live the way that we feel how happy we are our well-being levels um our mental health and of course work is is a place where we have to deal with quite a lot of complexity around relationships Absolutely. 
um, because we're dealing with lots of different people, some of whom we wouldn't be in relationship with if we weren't working with them, some yeah. of whom we need to motivate and um, influence to do things, <laughs> yeah. to deliver, to go in a certain direction. I mean, it's complex. Yeah. So, you know, understanding relationships and how to um, build trust and feel safe in them becomes central. I, I think that, so personally, I think that without psychological safety, I could say the same for growth mindset, but without psychological safety, you, you can't optimize performance. Yeah. Simple, simple, sim, you know, simple as that. Yeah. I, th I think if I was going to even psychoanalyze myself, I think that's part of why I'm a co-founder and an entrepreneur because my parents were a family business and in a family, even if you don't like your family, you can't fire them. Even if you like, you can't, you can basically you can, you could decide not to speak to your brother and sister ever again. Like mm. we could decide not to speak to our children again. Mm. You can't actually remove the fact that you are related, can you? It's no. not like it's not that simple. Whereas in in work, there's, and, and there's another point that you just said that I thought was really important around clarity, because clarity is one of the top engagement metrics, like being clear with people about what's mm. what's expected. But mm. I. They, and they all cross over naturally. But when you were speaking, I was thinking the importance of being clear mm. about who you are and what you expect. And so as a CEO, let's take as an example, mm. when you're talking to your team, just being clear about what you stand for and who you are, mm. when people are navigating all these relationships, helps people feel safe, doesn't it? Because mm. they know, oh, okay, I know more. You need clarity to feel safe because you need to understand where you stand, I suppose. Mm. Mm, absolutely and actually we did a piece of research a couple of years ago where we interviewed quite a few people around their best experiences of leaders yeah and one of the most important attributes that came out of these leaders who had made a really significant difference to the lives of these people was clarity the the okay. ability to give very clear direction and to make it very clear about what good performance looked like within that setting. Yeah. And I thought that was quite interesting actually, because yeah. I was expecting most of the feedback and the research to point to much more emotive traits, yeah, such absolutely. as, you know, the, the trust, the ability to talk to each other, the ability to connect with each other, but actually direction was just as important. So, yeah. and it's hard, isn't it? You know, as a, as a CEO, as a leader, as a manager, we're constantly, uh, <laughs> overwhelmed by yeah. just you know what's right in front of our face what we need to deliver yeah. next and so being thoughtful about and really considering what direction and clarity the team needs in order, order to deliver is, yeah. isn't easy it's not easy it might be much more straightforward for certain people and in established businesses where things don't change much maybe but it's it's not easy yeah. um and it's something that I think it provides a level of transparency that certainly plays into that safety piece, where if people know exactly what's going on, even if the message isn't that easy, even yeah. if, you know, actually our backs are against the wall here, guys, or, you know, we've got this very, very difficult problem to overcome. Yeah. As long as we're all in it together and we're yeah. facing it together and we're holding hands, you know, walking onto the front line together, yeah. There's something about that that creates a real strength in the yeah. team 
Um, and I think that often managers and leaders can forget that they they actually hide the difficult conversations from the people in their teams because they think that it's protecting them. I definitely used to do that, and I think I was taught that and learned that. I think what what I've it is something I say to our customers, which is unless you're breaking child labour laws, every single one of your employees is an adult. Mm. It's just a fact, isn't it? It's a fact mm. of employment. Um, yeah. And they they can handle these conversations and mm. almost patronizing to not include them in, in certain conversations. And I suppose this brings us into the drill down now about work environment mm. and providing that a, a, a safe working environment. And I don't just mean physical safety, because that for mm. many of our listeners, that is important. It does that does feed psychological safety as well. If you don't have the kit to do yeah, 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 yeah. in the extreme environment we have to remember not everyone works in an office or virtually and mm. um, if you're a leader and you're trying to be conscious Natasha of making a create mm. creating a psychological safety and the work environment in, in 2023 mm. that is so diverse isn't it that can be virtual that can be working from home companies don't have as much control over the work environment as before yeah um, where, where where do you start with that conversation well, I mean, I think that this is where just having systems and processes in, in place can be really helpful, um, especially now that we are sort of work, working in this augmented um, working environment where people are, are hybrid. Um, everybody needs to be really clear about what what's the next most important thing. So, I mean, OKRs is something that I've, you know, I've seen being used much, much more these days, but some sort of goal and objective setting that's that's near term, where everybody is very, very clear about what the most important things are that everybody should be working on. And I think collaborative goals are great in that respect. Um, so that there's a, a common sense of what matters most around here. So I think that's that's one thing. I think secondly, whether you have values or not, I mean, I think values are often things that are pasted on the wall. I think yeah. everybody needs to be clear about how we work, how we yeah. work around here, um, and be really clear about what's expected from a behavioral perspective. And I would say, I mean, in larger organizations, this is harder because, um, you know, each individual team can't come up with their own set of values but they certainly can talk about what those values mean for them so you know when we if if one of our values is uh, you know co-creation yeah what does that actually mean what does that actually look like when we're co-creating how are we working together so i think having a clear view in everybody's minds of how we do things is really important so they'd be sort of two systems that you can put into place where you're organizing people around some sort of aligned thinking yeah. and then beyond that i think that managers should be regularly meeting with their people not just to talk about work delivery but to check in on how they're doing and those yeah. that's that's not a tea and tissues conversation about you know how's your mental health it might be if that's yeah. the thing that you know is clearly an issue right there and then but it's simply like how's everything going what's going to help you get to where you need to be anything getting in the way of that is there anything that we need to do differently they're grown-up conversations to have they can be very difficult to have because everybody's so busy. <laughs> but I think you do need to carve out that time to have those conversations where you reconnect as people and have a conversation that sits outside of the operational delivery. And then I think that it's about um, making sure that people's roles are created 
around their strengths. I mean, there's a whole, you know, positive psychology and the whole movement around strengths-based development and job crafting, where you actually allow people to play to their strengths so that they can do they can do great work, and then you recognise them for it. Yeah. Um, you know, such people. A, such, you such know, a simple point, isn't it? <laughs> very important. Yeah, say thank you or say well done or celebrate the the wins in the team, you know, where you're where you're making progress or stand back every now and again, either as individuals or a team and say, look what we've done, look where we've come. Um, so I think that recognition is important for individuals so that they know that they're that they're valued. People need to feel valued. I think that does build safety. I could go on forever. There's so many different things I could say about this, but I'm gonna draw a breath. No, this is so useful and it, and it helps us reflect, Natasha. I suppose this goes it goes on to my last question, which is let's let's put you back in, in, in HR for a second to come out of your entrepreneurial role now. And let, let's say you're a HR director. Let's pick a fictional company, 500 employees. If you were, let's say you use the happiness index and you get the data back and it says, you know what, people don't feel safe in this work environment. Where would you start? You've collected the data. We know people are not feeling safe. Um, anything we should, anywhere we can start? Well, I mean, the thing that instantly comes to mind is HR shouldn't go to the managers and leaders and tell them what they need to do. Yeah. That's not the answer. I mean, and I did that so much as an HR professional where you're trying to tackle, especially in response to engagement survey or happiness survey results you're trying to almost do a sort of one-size-fits-all approach to fixing the problems in the organization you know going out and telling leaders and managers how to be how to behave how to act just patronizes them or um it's hard for them to respond to because of course this is all about human behavior and most of the time those sorts of challenges in organizations come as a consequence of individual insecurities and fear and pressures that yeah. people are experiencing at a very human level so i think you have to get down to the human level so i think you need to have conversations both with the um employees and with the managers and the leaders about why it's happening. Yeah. You need to really, and this will be unique to every business. Yeah, so, you know, if if there's an outcome which is, you know, if the data is pointing to the fact that we don't feel safe around here, you need to start talking about why we don't feel safe around here. You need to get under the skin of that. You need to have some really authentic, honest conversations about why we don't feel safe around here. Some of those things you'll be able to fix in house, some of them you'll need to get help fixing because this is about human behavior <laughs> and so some of them you might need to get some external advice from you might need to do some leadership development you not, might need to structure the business differently you might need to change job roles there's all sorts of things that may come as a consequence of that yeah. but i think that at a very at a very basic level normally that sort of fear in an organization or lack of safety is being created by the leaders because yeah. they're the people that call the shots and so that there will be some introspective work required on the part of the leaders for them really? to identify how they're contributing to it. And once again, this is not about, this is normally not about bad people doing bad things. It's Great. normally about good people not being consciously aware of some of the normalized behaviors that have that have developed in their organization that are leading to outcomes they weren't expecting yeah so it's about being able to be grown up enough 
and mature enough to go, okay, well, that's definitely not what we would want to happen around here. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to take it, I'm going to own it as a leader, and let's talk about how we're going to change it. Yeah. Natasha, our time is up, unfortunately. And I know that I've just asked you three or four questions and you think that you've just been talking. But what I can say from our for myself and our listeners, that is incredible insight because you've really you've taken it out of the textbook in my mind and you've made it applicable to us about where we could start and, and how we can start these conversations. So I just want to say as ever, thank you. I've learned so much and I know our listeners will have learned so much. So thank you. And, and we'll chat soon, I am sure. Great. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Asha. Bye.